It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long. And you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as they discuss a variety of topics, such as filmmaker Christopher Nolan, James Gunn, and our history with the MCU. That's the other thing. I, I never thought anyone could usurp Quentin Tarantino for me. And oh, I, didn't think I don't about know. That. You know, if if they both came out with a brand new movie at nearly the same time, Tarantino and Nolan, because. Every Tarantino and Nolan movie I've ever seen at the theater, I have thoroughly enjoyed every single one. But if I had a choice of seeing a brand new Tarantino offering and a brand new Nolan offering, I don't know which one I would choose. But I think if you told me the premise of each, <laughs> okay, I might be able to make up my mind. But just up in the air about it, I don't know. Because I love both, but... Uh, wow, I, I, like I'm trying to think in my head, or I'm asking myself a rhetorical question. Who do I think is the, the better director overall as far as how I connect with their work? Man, overall, it, speaking for myself, I, I, I think for, for how I react to all their movies, I think. Nolan has the highest average for me if you take all his films together. I love all the Tarantino movies and and some I extremely love, but I think if you look at their entire filmographies, Nolan has the higher average for me between those two. Well, that's fair. I don't think there's a single Tarantino film that I don't like, but there's at least one Nolan film that I don't like, which is following. But I mean, you can't really hold that against him, you know? Oh, Oh, I thought you were going to say Memento. (laughs) <laughs> no i i like momentum memento for what it is i just don't think it's by any means a great movie um, like a six out of ten <laughs> but but i don't dislike it by any means i think um guy pierce is great in it that uh, joey pants is always fun so and it was i think there's some quality stuff when, when we were because we talked about well we talked about insomnia recently and when i was researching insomnia everything i read was every famous director and actor you could think of at at that time who all were just um, lauding Memento to no end. Uh, Like, Scorsese loved it. Spielberg loved it. Like, they just, everyone went completely bonkers for Memento at the time. Um, Al Pacino loved it. You know, Robin Williams loved it. Everybody just wanted to work with this new hot director. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah, Dunkirk is, I would call, 
kind of experiential filmmaking. It's not a movie that you necessarily need to look at in terms of plot, in terms of um, characters. It's very much setting you in a place and kind of just forcing you to be there and go yes. through the experience with the characters. Yes. This movie is much more kind of take this kind of plot journey, look at what these characters go through, look what they become. I feel like that's much more easily digestible to filmmaking. So I, I, I can definitely get that. But funny, you said, exper- you said experiential. It's kind of how I felt about like something like A Quiet Place too when I saw it recently. Yep. The, those movies definitely focus on that. Yeah. yeah. And that's also a movie I couldn't rewatch, I don't think, too many times in a year. Yeah, and I'll, I'll quickly mention this just because at the start of this podcast we were talking about directors that we would compare to Kubrick. Yes. Have you ever heard of Gaspar Noir? No. Or Gaspar Noir, I think is how you say it. He, he's a French or Argentine director. I think he's kind of a mix of both. I don't exactly know which he lands on more. But he's been working around the same amount of time as Nolan, but he's only put out a couple of films. Uh, there was Irreversible, which he put out the same year as Memento, and they work very much in the same way. Like, they're both kind of... they start at the Oh, end. I'm aware of that movie. I'm aware of that movie. Yeah, much more emotionally impactful, much more punch-you-in-the-gut filmmaking. Gaspar Noir, I would put much more on the Kubrick level of a genuine artist working in film today. doesn't care at all what you think about his movies. He just cares about beating you up <laughs> as an audience. Yes, but the, but the difference for me, I get what you're saying, and the difference for me of why I equate Nolan more to Kubrick, because... I don't think it's I don't give a fuck movie making I think like I mean I don't give a fuck what anybody else thinks I mean there is an element of that yes for sure but I don't think that's what really what it is for Kubrick or Nolan um, or perhaps even that guy you just named I think what Kubrick is doing is he's making a movie that he would like to see yep. and if you happen to be on board then great and if you're not then you're not and I think Nolan's doing the exact same thing to a degree. He's making a movie that he would want to watch. And if you happen to be on board, great. And if you're not, not. And the reason why I would still associate, even though I'm a, I'm a little bit familiar with that movie, Irreversible, the reason I would say that Nolan is still closer to Kubrick is because while they're in the act of doing that, making a movie that they think they would want to watch, they churn out these mainstream blockbusters simultaneously and irreversible is not a mainstream blockbuster no and that's why i associate those two filmmakers more with each other um than i would that guy even though i only know that one movie of his yeah he made a brilliant film called enter the void which is a first person i've seen that and i did not think it was brilliant but <laughs> i get what you're saying oh you've seen that? i know other people think it's brilliant oh that's yeah that's yeah. one of my that'd be my top ta- top 10 favorite films absolutely love that yeah, I think Kubrick... yeah. There's like a bunch of people like like getting high and like clubbing or something or or oh, that... I don't know if it's a rave or club or whatever it is. Yeah, you might be thinking of uh, no, you might be thinking of climax. No, I, I don't. No idea what that is. Yeah, that's basically that a bunch of people getting high and clubbing. Enter the void. Wait, is there not people getting high and doing that in Enter the Void? Enter the void is someone um, who takes some psychedelics and then gets killed by the police. And then the rest of the movie, it's a three-hour-long piece. The rest of the movie is him jumping 
like first person through people's lives and experiencing how right. everyone that I he seen knows. It. I seen it. Yeah, I love that film. That's one of my absolute. I saw favorites. it. To be fair, I wasn't fully paying attention because I was not engaged. Um, uh, so I didn't give it its fair due. But I know it well because my girlfriend at the time, she was the one. I was like, here, let's watch this random thing. And then she got immediately sucked into it. And I was just like, okay, I guess I'm along for the ride. She loved it. She thought it was brilliant. I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess. I mean, I was drunk, whatever. I was like, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> and that's fine if that's brilliant move. But again, they're not making... My argument continues to be that they have this crazy balance. Intentional. Well, it is intentional. I was going to say intentional or not. They have this crazy balance of making artoric, artistic visions that happen to go mainstream at the same time. And so when I define it that way, that makes a very short list all of a sudden well, of people who are able to do that consistently. I was going to say Kubrick, I think, only did that with The Shining. The Shining was the only place... Only did that with The Shining. The Shining was the only place where he... I mean, sure, he did like Spartacus and a couple of their studio jobs just really yeah, to get but, budgets. Yeah, that doesn't really count. That, that was only for him to get budgets. That was his worry. Like, oh no, I need financing to make my next project. I don't think he ever really was wanting to be a studio director. It was all about making money so he could go on to make the movies he really wanted to make. I agree. Nolan, I agree with that. I agree with that. Nolan, I think, genuinely does want to be a crowd-pleasing director. That's why he was so hurt by Tenet. Tenet failed, and it just pissed him off. He was like, holy crap, okay. audiences. You are definitely demarcating a difference between the two of them. However, I would think that Kubrick probably wished all his movies did pretty damn well as well. But, um... <laughs> Uh, you are noting a difference, but again, that's why I framed my argument more specifically because uh, I'm not taking that into account, even though that's an obvious aspect hmm. of their work. I'm just saying they're doing their vision and they're pulling off, like, and even though Kubrick's movies may not have all been gangbusters at the time, um, at the box office when they came out initially. I would say, no, his mainstream movies now, meaning like in the zeitgeist of things, uh, certainly 2001, Clockwork Orange, um, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, um, there, of, of his more touristic films. I feel like those are the ones that um, they're just, like many, many, many people have seen them and many, many, many people liked those ones. Yep. But they weren't necessarily as well received at the time. I would say all those movies. Agree. Agree. But that all doesn't matter now because they're all etched into the zeitgeist of, of hardcore critics, movie buffs, but then just average Joes at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because I was alive when Full Metal Jacket came out and when it was on VHS afterwards and nobody was talking about that as a Kubrick movie or it's the new Kubrick. Everybody was like, this is just a fucking kick-ass war movie. Hmm. Interesting. That's all people were saying. Or at least, the, I mean, I was a kid and I was an up-and-comer, so I, I myself was not a serious movie-goer either. And everybody I knew at the time had seen Full Metal Jacket. And that was just like, that's just a badass war movie. Everybody was like, yeah, there's Platoon, there's Full Metal Jacket. You know, it was just, that's it. Like, and, but ask him, who directed the movie? Couldn't tell you. 
couldn't tell you. Oh, I feel like prior to the internet, that was a lot of... That was like the majority of film watchers. Couldn't tell you who directed that. But anything. I'm just saying, something like... Except for Spielberg and Lucas. Oh, yeah, definitely Spielberg. Yeah, but I'm just telling you, it was just a kick-ass movie. People weren't like, oh, it's the guy who did 2001. They weren't even saying it's the guy who did Shining. Again, I was in the the lower rungs of society in those days. <laughs> I'm sure movie buffs in their 20s and 30s at the time had different ideas, but I wasn't mm-hmm. there yet. That's fair. No, that's, that's an interesting perspective. I'm glad you shared that. I, I didn't really think about it that way. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And then I remember everybody wanted to see Eyes Wide Shut, not because it was a Kubrick movie, but because they just heard there was going to be like all this over-the-top sex. Oh, and yeah. see, that was a trend in the 90s. And it's kind of started with um, oh God, the movie I just mentioned recently. Basic Instinct? Uh, it started with Basic Instinct, thank you. And and then there was these movies that tried to do the same thing. There was Body of Evidence. There was Shiver. Um, I think it was called Shiver. Or Sliver. Sliver. Embrace the Vampire. Um, do you remember oh, that? That was straight to video. <laughs> yeah, that was straight to video. That's fair. Um, and no, and then the next big one was Showgirls. That everybody went to go see just because of what they had heard about it. Yeah. Oh, and it was NC-17 and everything. And then there was Eyes Wide Shut. And I remember all the guys I knew had a very blue-collar job at the time. They don't know fuck all who Stanley Kubrick is. They just heard that there's all this controversial sex in this movie. So that's why everybody was talking about it. And that's why some people were seeking it out. Not because they're film lovers. But that's just what everybody was talking about. Well, just since you bring this up, was Crash among that? David Cronenberg's Crash? Um, that's the one that was nominated, right? Oscar nominated and everything? Uh, I don't know. What year did it come out? Because I might be confusing it with another movie. Um, I'll quickly look. I know there's two movies that's named Crash. I'm probably thinking about the wrong one. Because I was going to say, that's a Cronenberg movie? I only remember the crash, the one that was nominated for the Oscars, like in the late nineties. Oh well, that might have been Cronenberg's. Uh, it was ninety-six. So, jeez, I have no idea. I have to look. Yeah, it's this crazy movie with James Spader. It was an MC seventeen film about because Cronenberg's always obsessed with kind of sexual kind of uh, deviousness. <laughs> and this movie's about a guy who gets into a car crash and discovers this whole subculture of people who are obsessed sexually obsessed with like crashes and that kind of violence this is not the crash i was thinking of yeah it's super fucking weird movie i don't know how i feel about this movie but no i never i never knew about this <laughs> in those days um so uh, this did not go mainstream i think it was a hit at the time i don't know because i knew all the mainstream hits like from 1987 onwards mm. so so if i don't know about this i mean shoot i saw the damn creep show well not creep show uh what was the one that was a, uh, a showtime series tales from the crypt oh, i yeah, saw the yeah. damn tales of the crypt movie and was aware of it at this time period oh god so, I mean, yeah. so i knew about that and i i never heard of this crash so there's no way now, maybe if I was, like, hip and lived in L.A. or New York at the time, maybe I would have heard of this. But, no, I have no idea. I was thinking about a completely different crash that came out, like, maybe three years after this and was highly acclaimed. But it's not this. 
Fair enough. <laughs> but anyway. So, yeah, sorry. I can't tell you anything about this. Uh, sure. Uh, but, uh... Oh, God. I know we're done, but <laughs> there was one more dumb thing I was going to say. Sure. For, I forgot what it was, though. Um, but... I don't know. It's a raging debate, but... I mean, you gotta... Again, I'm setting the I'm setting my own rules for how I'm defining it because uh, and and by my own rules they're so extremely similar. I remember now I was gonna say, um, even though I don't know what it just because I have to I'm contractually obligated to mention Bergman there <laughs> frequently as well. But he's he's just another one of those guys. Uh, I wouldn't call him like a Kubrick or Nolan style in any way, but he does fall into the category of he's making movies he would want to see the way he would want to make them and he's just you know once he was established as a filmmaker he was making movies completely by his own rules um, except for the fact that he he only ever had small budgets to work with but he was making movies by his own rules that many of them just happened to have mainstream appeal not in the United States um, but I mean like at least in his homeland or in Europe, a lot of his movies got really mainstream appeal, even though he was doing his own thing. And since you mentioned, I'm probably going to cut this bit because it's completely unrelated. But you mentioned the fall the other day. Oh yeah. And it reminded me. I was like, oh yeah, you know, I've kind of fallen off going through my surrealist film list. And so I started looking through it, like, oh, what should I watch next? And I realized that I've got a bunch of Bergman on here that I didn't even really realize was from Bergman like I got Hour of the Wolf yes. on here I've got Persona I think there was a couple other I ones I just watched Hour of the Wolf recently oh, what'd you think? hold on I gotta look at the image I'm like, is that surrealist? Uh, I have to see which one can I get some of the ones I saw recently I get the names mixed up because I, the names don't necessarily clearly relate to the movie that's why I have to remember what Hour of the Wolf was about I think I know what it was about. Yeah, I just I started looking through this and looking up individual movies I didn't recognize. Like, oh, what's that? Why is this on my list? And I just found a couple that were Bergman, and I was like, oh shit, I didn't realize these were Bergman movies. Yeah, I did see this. I mean, you know, like I don't know, six months ago. But um, it's funny because like I looked it up and it says, um, it says Out of the Wolf, horror drama. Wow, interesting. I didn't even think of it as a horror movie um, at the time. But I, I get what they're saying. And then Surrealist, I didn't really think of it in that way either when I watched it. Interesting. But I'd have to go back and watch it again. Uh, I mean, if anything, not exactly, but I would say, I'll see that if I say this, it's going to make it seem like it's Surrealist um, or possibly horror. I was going to say, if anything, it's like in the vein of the lighthouse but it's not the lighthouse because that's extremely artouristic and and you know it's, it's not that but i mean i'm just hey because i noticed because maybe i'll watch because it. a lot of oh go ahead sorry <laughs> no because bergman because of the land he came from he was all about the islands off the coast of sweden and in his latter part of his life he he basically um went to go live on his own island 
uh, and <laughs> became like an islander in in the in the literary sense of someone who just wants to be away from everyone else in his own little pocket world, um, and and so that theme you see a lot in some of his movies, the island theme, the idea of being um, separated from you know the mainland or main cult mainline culture or whatever. So, and and just like the lighthouse, you know, there's a lot of things about being isolated on a small piece of land with just like one other person. So that's a theme you see in, in, in a bunch of Bergman movies, and I think this is one of those. What was another one you said? Uh, Persona is on there as well. Oh, I have not seen it yet, but just from the images, I, it just looks completely surrealist, surrealistic. Hmm. Was there any others? Uh, I don't remember if there's any others. I just collected these all from like lists. They're like mm-hmm. best surrealist films or surrealist films that most people don't talk about. So that's how they all got on my list. So, but *Hour of the Wolf*. Hmm. Maybe I have to look back at that and have a different take. Wow, it's ninety-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's fucking crazy. Maybe we should cover it. I'd be. It's on my list, so <laughs> I'd love to see. Well, it. not to spoil anything, but it wasn't one of the biggest standouts of, to me, like of the ones I've seen. Um, like it wasn't one of the most memorable, I guess. So I just think it's interesting. It's so highly rated all this yeah maybe you maybe you're just not viewing it the same way that some of those people have seen it a bunch of times have and they call it the swedish psychological horror cool sounds great i know that's weird well i mean speaking of someone who saw it <laughs> i mean but i get what they're saying they're not wrong i i guess i don't know maybe i went into it with the whole wrong frame of mind I don't yeah know. maybe we should look at that next another bergman for you <laughs> man it's your show I'll watch whatever. Well, I mean, we basically do this whenever we have a fill-in, so... <laughs> well, I feel like there's a lot of fill-ins. <laughs> I know you do a lot of other stuff, too. I mean, for your own show, but... Oh, yeah. I feel like the fill-ins are very regular. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's whatever I can fit into my schedules, basically, but... Well, you fit quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Well, I've also backed up since, like, April. I haven't released anything since... Uh, Everything that I'm releasing is old stuff at this point. So, for a while there, I was recording like three times a week for like two months. But yeah, it's crazy. Well, of course, it's it's how they make their money. But because I'm addicted to certain YouTube channels, mostly video game related. Although I am starting to look more into movie related YouTube channels. But um, uh, but the guys who do it daily, or at least Monday through Friday, that's just wow that's just amazing to me yeah to be like a full-time youtuber yeah well things were in lockdown over here because we were in lockdown for like eight months i was just recording so much and so i just ran into such a backlog of things to edit so i'm just trying to catch up but (laughs) oh but i guess before we finish this i was just going to mention to you um i recently started getting back into watching star trek and I watched uh, Balance of Terror. Mm-hmm. I know that one pretty well. Yeah, that man, some of that stuff is just so great. I was like, God damn, I'd love to cover some Star Trek someday. I recorded some random like bonus reviews on my uh, Doctor Who podcast, but I never published them. But if you're ever interested, I'd love to talk about some Star Trek. I mean... <laughs> oh, I would love to... 
I I would almost want you to produce those under the RGB moniker. Oh, I'd, I'd absolutely do it. 100%. I love that show. So... <laughs> I even started listening to this. The old uh, I listened to. The Don't first. tempt me because because uh, I I would be totally game for that, and of course uh, you can easily invite Cat or Carl anytime for something like that. Oh, hundred um, percent, I'd do it. Did I tell you inside baseball on that? Uh, I don't know if I told. Tell me if I told you this before, but like you know, I I wanted to revive that podcast, like all my podcast. Yeah. Um, and. And I love Carl. I love Cat. I love um, what's his name? Julian's friend. Oh, maybe not. No, Julian. not Julian. He was great in that not show too. Julian. I loved him on that series. I love that whole series. But I don't remember Julian ever being on RGB. But um, uh, what's his name? I can't think of his name. But do you know who I'm talking about? Um, Carl has this friend who's been his friend for like thirty years. Um, and and he would definitely be on RGB, and he, he was on one or two episodes of Sci-Fi Prime Line and something else. Uh, his name oh, was it Tom? I think I know who you're talking about, but I don't remember the name. Yeah. And this dude Tom was so wild to me because like he had seen all this Star Trek stuff, but like there was something weird. Like he had never seen Star Trek 2009. Or, like, he had seen the classic Star Wars films and he had never seen, like, any of the Disney stuff. Or oh, wow. He had something, like, he, like he hadn't watched, like, a new motion picture, like, in ten years or something. <laughs> and he used to just blow my mind. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, I don't remember being on RBG, but I remember being on Sci-Fi Party. Oh, yeah, he was. I, uh, yeah, he, um, but I love that guy. Uh, um, yeah, he's been into retirement, I guess, because we haven't talked about that stuff. Um, but hey, if you ever want to resurrect that show, I'd be more than happy to produce it. I'd love uh, to. I am very interested because I can always go back to watching any Star Trek, any iteration. Yeah, I can always go back. I think I even covered an Enterprise episode on those bonus episodes that I was going to release. I just never, never edited them. <laughs> Especially people who don't care about classic TV or Star Trek in general. They have no idea how phenomenally good TOS was and so much better than other stuff that was sci-fi or genre at the time. They have no idea like how much better because they even I when I was a kid felt like TOS looked kinda old, even though it was only like twenty years old at the time, which <laughs> scares the shit out of me when I think about it. But um Wow oh, yeah. <laughs> I, even I would go, Oh, this looks pretty shoddy. This looks pretty like low budget. Oh. Um, and then it's like, no, you don't understand. And then you don't understand also because, I mean, I was watching crappy videotaped, I, I mean, videotaped at the studio, videotaped broadcast versions. Yep. You know? And so I had no idea how glorious they could really look. Um, and I didn't realize the complexity of the, what seemed like simplistic stories or allegories. I didn't even know what allegory meant in those days. So, <laughs> you know. And then I watch them and I go, oh, fuck, this is fucking brilliant. And even episodes... Okay, there are some episodes that are just kind of really subpar. That's true. But yep. some of the ones that people think of as forgettable and subpar, I'm like, no, but this is like, wow. Like, and I was... A lot of TOS episodes come off across as like these would be amazing 
Twilight Zone episodes mm-hmm. uh, if they're on that show. Um, and you just don't realize how bad everything else was that came out at the time because that stuff doesn't exist anymore. So we can't even see it. The, the, the shitty stuff that existed. Um, I mean, try to watch the original Lost in Space. It's it's not... Oh. <laughs> it's not... It's, I mean, it's not Star Trek. Um, oh. <laughs> but yeah, I fucking love Star Trek. Oh, and I... I I had the same feeling when I went, okay, you know, just like everyone does when they get older, um, you know, you're like, oh, let me see the stuff I saw when I was a kid and how it looks now, and, uh, you know, I, the, one of the worst ones, worst examples that happened for me was when I was like, oh, look, they're releasing um, He-Man, Masters of the Universe, oh, I want to watch some of this, oh my god, I had no idea how bad it was. Yeah. how bad the writing was and the stories it was colossally bad um so horrible so cringy like super friends super friends bad is that that bad i don't know i haven't watched a lot of super friends yeah before my time it's and bad it, wasn't in syndication. it is it's drugs written they were just like hey we're on fucking acid let's write a script that's super friends <laughs> he-man is ridiculously horrible the plots are ridiculously one-dimensional and then, to contrast that, when Transformers was getting re-released on VHS um, or DVD for the first time, I was like, "Oh, let's see what this is like." And this is season. This is first gen, um, the original Transformers, Optimus Prime, and all that. And yeah, there, again, there's some bad episodes, but then there's some that are like, "Holy shit!" Like, there's no way I would have understood this plot when I was in elementary school. Like. Who are they writing for? Like, there's certain episodes of first-gen Transformers that come across as, like, discarded scripts from, like, Twilight Zone and TOS, and they just, like, adapted them for Transformers. Um, I think if you do some research, you'll find that some of the writers were guys who used to work on that kind of stuff. Oh, cool. Classic television, and then they were submitting scripts to Transformers. There are some that are so good... And you cannot believe it's a kid show about robots that change from cars to, to humanoids. There's some really crazy, trippy, um, allegorical, sci-fi-like episodes that that are just so divergent than what you think the show's about. Like, you think it's about... like I, I'm assuming you haven't watched that much of the classic cartoon. Yes, there's the ones where it's like, oh, they're battling, you know, like... In like like the new Transformer cartoons, you know. Oh, got to steal the Energon. Oh no, they've captured so and so. Yes, there's those episodes, but there's these ones where like the UFO takes them to like another galaxy, like goes through a wormhole and shit that has nothing to do with like the ongoing arc. There's like these one-offs, and they're oh no, it's a primitive race that don't understand this, and oh my god, what are we gonna do before they sacrifice us? And you're just like, holy shit. Transformers did some crazy shit on some individual episodes. Yeah, I haven't seen the original movie. So that, that one turned out good. I haven't seen that movie yet. What movie? The uh, original uh, Transformers the movie. Oh fuck, man! You know, okay, that's one of my all-time favorite animated films. Hmm. Um, period. And a lot of it's because I'm a fanboy and stuff. Hmm. I, and I was the right age at the right time, but. Um, so that movie, of course, was on VHS, and I saw it a million times on VHS, and it came out on DVD, and that was cool. And then I was like, when Blu-rays became a thing, I was like, oh man, I wish it would come out on Blu-ray. 
And at the time they said, because I used to follow Transformer news all the time, and they said, oh yeah, but this movie's probably never going to come out on Blu-ray because there's no existing print that is like of good enough quality. And they used to say stuff too that we don't have any high quality um, 16 by 9 frame prints. They just don't exist, so this will never happen. And then one day it was like, oh, it's coming to Blu-ray. I was like, oh my God, it's happening. And so that because they said it would never happen. Kind of like lost episodes of Doctor Who. Like, it's not going to happen. And then it happened. And we found this print and blah, 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 blah. And then now, soon, I don't remember the date, but soon it's coming on 4K. (gasps) It's coming soon on 4K. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That is one of my most revered childhood movies. And like the conversation we're just having about television, it's one of my childhood movies. Like I go back and watch Goonies, eh, not not as good anymore. The one that is so not as good anymore that I freaking loved was Flight of the Navigator, which was a Disney TV movie in 86. And that was an amazing movie back in the 80s. And I watched it because when Disney Plus Debuted, and I was like, oh, Fly the Navigator. Oh my god, it's bad now. But anyway, Transformers is one of my childhood movies that is just as amazing now as when I saw it then. Oh, cool. Fucking love it. It's so good. It's so good. Did you watch Bumblebee? Nope. The movie? Nope. I fell off after the third one. I just couldn't do it anymore. If you heard me, Carl, and Kat, have you ever heard us talk about, or they don't talk about it, but I talk about Bumblebee? No, I don't listen to any podcasts that talk about things I haven't seen before, so... <laughs> oh, interesting. So, you sound like them, because whenever the movie had come out, I was like, telling them, hey, guys, you know, Bumblebee, hey, I saw it, you guys should give it a chance. And they're like, no, not gonna do it, not gonna do it, <laughs> not after the fourth movie or the fifth movie, whatever it was. Yep. Like, nope, I have no faith in, no faith in that, no, and I'm like, oh, you understand, uh... Yeah, they even refused to uh, cover them on the turd off. They said, we're absolutely done. We've, we've had enough. <laughs> I would say that Bumblebee is arguably the first or second best live-action Transformers movie. Well, not a high bar to, uh, to cover, so... <laughs> <laughs> and you know what the other one would be? You know, that I put in my top two? But, I mean, it's pretty obvious. The first one? Yes, the first one, of course. Um, those are the best. I mean, it's Bumblebee and that. And they're obviously quite different <laughs> from each other. They're obviously not the same. But uh, I thought Bumblebee was an excellent, well-timed, well-done reboot, so to speak. Um, and I was just like, oh my god, give me a good sequel to this. I'm all in. <laughs> and I don't know what the plans are. I don't know if they have a sequel in the works right now for Bumblebee specifically. But oh fuck, I was I was ready for whatever was going to come after that. That was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, one day I'll finally... So I haven't seen any of the ones after three. One day I'll finally watch them all. But yeah, for Star Trek, if you ever want to resurrect RBG, I'll, I'll be there. Just give me the date. Oh, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Sure. Uh, nah, and it's, especially if you want to produce it, then it's a, the percentage of it happening goes up immensely. Yeah, 100% I'll edit it. I don't mind. 
Just uh, send me the intro or the uh, intro. We'll talk. It's too much for me to think about right now. Um, I almost almost died on Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> oh, really? Oh. No, I had a high that. No. Huh? Was it the car accident thing? Right. I mean, because I had a health scare like the day before. Um, it wasn't that serious, the health scare, but it was still a health scare. And then, you know, what, the next day after, the health scare? And fuck, it was fucking Final Destination, man. Like, all the fucking way. Dude. And I was just thinking, like, and that's happened to me a few times in my life where I had a Final Destination moment. And this was one of them. And I was just thinking because I'm a pretty damn good driver. Uh, mm-hmm. Take my word for it. Um, but even though I am a pretty damn good driver, I still have my moments where I'll look at my phone or send a text. <laughs> I'm not as bad as other people are um, when they do that stuff or get distracted. But I do that stuff. And I was God damn. Thank goodness I wasn't having one of those moments where I was texting mm. or one of those moments where I do have these moments where I get drowsy a bit, um, even during daytime. And I was just like, thank goodness I was fully paying attention. And also, um, I'm a, uh, even though it's figurative, not literal, I'm a low resting heart rate person when it comes to like freak out moments in life um i'm the kind of person who doesn't freak out because i can just imagine someone else being in the situation i was and doing the wrong thing because they freak out mm. like like turning into the car unintentionally or something like that um, or slamming their brakes or something like i was as cool as a cucumber could possibly be but i was like dude this dude like who would have fucking had a head-on collision and each of us was going 75, 80 miles per hour. It would have been a like, direct hit. And and the dude, I don't know what was wrong with him. I don't know if he was under the influence of something. Because there are a lot of people like that in this area. Um, besides alcohol. Um, because he completely went into my lane like it was nothing. Like just as if he was doing it intentional. Like merged into my lane. I got out of the way and he just continued in my lane like it was like he didn't react he didn't like swerve he didn't hit his brakes he was just driving as if I was invisible and he went right through me and then just kept going and then got back over huh probably didn't even notice you there I I, that happens so often so infuriating (sighs) that does not happen not like that it doesn't happen often I've had similar things like that but this was not nearly as egregious as this one was yeah just just yesterday i saw someone almost hit a pedestrian and they drove past like nothing the pedestrian turned around like what the fuck like i almost just got run over and just nothing the driver just went along like oh yeah whatever it's so maddening to see people like that on the road like how do they get their license i used to work in like a little retail plaza a long time ago uh and Something I would see all the time in those days, and I was amazed that nothing, I never saw anything bad happen. I, uh, I would see a lot of women, um, like they're parked and they're backing out of their parking space. I would see a lot of women, like in their car, and they're gonna back out, and they just like, like they just like launch, you know what I mean, in reverse. Mm-hmm. And I used to see it so much. 
And I'd be like, how are they not hitting people, you know, just by a bad chance? Because mm. a lot of them would just like, I know they didn't check. And they'd just be like, and just like bust out um, like like six feet, you know, in reverse. Like I saw it so many times. And I'm like, how are people not getting hit like, every day with how much I see this happening? Like, whatever. Yeah, a lot of crazy people out there. So that's still the difference between the original and the copy, even if they're virtually identical in every way, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so yes, the original. And this is interesting too, nowadays, well, or not. I don't even know what it's called now, but uh, there's a term for it. It's a very new modern term. But are you aware how people are starting to auction off, bid on and buy and own original digital copies of things? Are you aware of this? No, I, I no. <laughs> Original digital. This copies. is a brand new market. This is a brand new thing that's come up in our day and age, um, uh, and there's this thing where you can own the original digital copy um, of digital images or of original videos on YouTube or whatever. Um, oh, famously. One of the f first viral videos on YouTube was just up for auction. I don't know if it's sold already, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, oh, it's the one where I can't remember the kid's name, but Jimmy bit my finger. I can't remember the name. Jimmy or Mikey or yeah, you aware of that one? I, I vaguely remember it. Yeah, years and years ago. So that was a famous meme video from the early days of YouTube. Bajillion views now. So they were gonna whatever this thing is I'm talking about. Um, let's say it's DRM. It's some type of um, acronym. Let's just pretend it's DRM. So they're going to sell the DRM rights for the Jimmy Bit My Finger YouTube video. So they're going to put it out there. People are going to bid on it. They expect to get thousands upon thousands, perhaps millions of dollars. And then whoever wins then owns the original digital code the original digital version of this YouTube video, and it'll be removed from YouTube. Now, it can still exist on the internet, but every other version of it on the internet will be a copy of the original. And the person who owns the original owns the original. And not only are they doing it for things like YouTube videos, but let's say I take a photograph of the Mona Lisa, um, but it's this... It's my photograph and I'm a famous photographer or something and it's just like the most amazing photograph of the original Mona Lisa. I can now I now I own the, the I'm making up the DRM term. Now I own the DRM uh, digital copy of my photo that I made. And even if I copy it and other people post it on the internet, I still own the original and it has like value. And there's a bunch of these things happening now. And it, that's another thing, like, it's hard to wrap your head around it because how do you own the digital ones and zeros that make up the YouTube video or the images? I don't know, but this is what's happening right now. There's this new market, and these things are yeah. selling for ridiculous amounts of money just for the – even though if you copy the digital code, it's a perfect digital <laughs> copy, but unless you own it, you don't own it. So – bunch of suckers it sounds like just a big sounds like a complete lark wrap your head around that <laughs> but it's, this is a big new thing right now <laughs> and they're doing it with like original digital copies of music and all kinds of stuff so 
and it's very much like this is what we're talking about. No, I won't keep you much longer, and I don't have any agenda cooked up. Oh, I was going to say when Sean was still here, was the antidote to all this uh, subverting expectations and stupid shit that's coming out of everywhere. Uh, the Suicide Squad is fucking good. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. I, I really want to see it because of Peter Capaldi. It's good. It's good. It's good for that and many other reasons. Cool. Um, almost the entire cast is fucking brilliant. Oh, cool. And, and it's a big cast. <laughs> No, that's a great movie, and it doesn't play into any of the bullshit that we were talking about. Oh, that's good. It's just a straight-up good movie. There's no political agenda. Ah, a little bit with some stuff, but I mean, but it's like normal levels of political agenda like you would find in any movie. Uh, not, a, not a woke movie by any stretch of the, of the imagination. Um, it's just a good fucking movie. I, th- I think it's by far the best... Uh, the best uh, DC live action since since the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, oh, cool! It's in a vein like Deadpool without copying Deadpool in any way. Uh, if Guardians of the Galaxy is like a family oriented uh, James Gunn joint, um, this is a fucking rated R all the way uh, James Gunn joint. That's exciting. Uh, in, in, in in a good way. Uh, it's it's it's. Did me and you? Did me and you ever talk, James Gunn? Not that I recall. No, I don't think I've mm. ever discussed him with anybody. But uh, did did you kind of did you kind of start your experience with him with Guardians? Basically, yes. I mean, I remember Toxic Avenger. I remember when it was a thing uh, when it first came out, but I never I never had access to it. Never saw it. But I remember when it was a thing, though. Yeah, that's trauma. He didn't work with Toxic Avenger, but he did work with Trauma back in the day. Yeah, I first introduced James Gunn with, um... <laughs> well, it was first Dawn of the Dead, and then it was those fucking Scooby-Doo movies where I first heard his name. I didn't know he was connected to that in any way, but okay. Yeah, and then eventually I saw uh, Tromeo and Juliet, and then uh, Super and Slither, because I was a big horror fan, so those were my Wait, main... Wait, who was in Super? Super was that that guy from The Office. Yes, okay, I did see Super. I did see Super. I had no idea it was James Gunn. I mean, I read that recently, but when I saw the movie, I had no idea. Uh. Yeah, and so when he did his Guardians movie, I had stopped watching the the MCU with uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. I was like, fuck these movies. Wait a second. How can you stop with that? Because that's so at the beginning. I, I'm in a, I was a comic reader, and so I'd been watching all these fucking movies. I watched Ghost Rider. I was like, this complete piece of shit, like betrayal of the comics. And I watched uh, Iron Man, and I hadn't read any Iron Man really except for like him in teen books. And so I was like, wow, Iron Man, like this is great. A whole new avenue of uh, comic book movies that's actually going to be good. I watched The Incredible Hulk. I felt betrayed. I watched Thor. I felt betrayed. And then I watched Captain America, the first Avenger, and I was like, that's it. I'm done. Like, comp movies in general are crap. I just can't watch them anymore. And so I swore off completely. No way. I didn't, I didn't have any of that feeling. <laughs> I, I wasn't. But you, but, but you weren't a comic book reader. I was. I was. But not of, not of Avengers. Uh, no, the only, comic, the only comic books I really read were X-Men and spinoffs. Mm-hmm. X-Men spinoffs. 
Yo, yeah, and X-Men betrayed me too with fucking uh, uh, Origins, Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we all know about that. I mean... But it was like... It was years and years of feeling like every time I go to a comic movie, I feel betrayed. And so I stopped with that one. I was like, I'm not watching any more of this No, crap. I never took any of that stuff too seriously. I mean, Origins was not the greatest thing, but I was like, eh, okay, it is what it is. I, but I didn't, didn't take it personally. Uh, and then with the Avengers stuff, I definitely never read any Avengers comic or member of Avengers comic ever. And I knew almost nothing about any of those characters, to be honest. Um, and uh, Iron Man was overblown for me. I mean, because everyone, everyone who saw it, all my friends saw it and said, oh, this is the most amazing thing. Um, and I was like, oh, it was good, but I wasn't blown away. And then Thor I thought was interesting just because it was a whole new character in Mythos that I didn't know about. So I just found it interesting in general. Um, and I thought the movie was okay, but I just thought it was really interesting. And I was just thinking, hmm, I could just imagine all the different places this would go, like in the comics or whatever. Um, and then Captain America, I just thought it was an okay movie. I, I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was terrible. I just thought, oh, that's a good movie. Uh, maybe I am a little bit of a, 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 what is the word? Maybe I'm a little bit of a sucker for token patriotism. Um, <laughs> but uh, that was an okay movie. But I will admit, when I fucking saw the first Avengers, that fucking blew me the fuck away. Um, and at the time, I thought, oh yeah, this is the greatest superhero movie ever. And I didn't know how it was going to be topped. And it was topped a lot later. But at the time, I thought Avengers was the fucking epitome of what a comic book movie could possibly be. Yeah, I didn't see that until Guardians. But um, when I watched Thor, that that felt like the 80s Master of the Universe. Where it's like, oh, you took this great cosmic story and you threw it into middle America and turned it into just cheap fish-out-of-the-water crap. I was so frustrated. I thought it was fine. Even though it's a tired trope, I thought it was fine. And, it, and I always thought, oh, I'm sure there's much more to this Thor dude than this. Yes. But, but I thought it was fine. And I, I still like the fish out of water thing, whether they did it with oh. Superman or like they did it with Wonder Woman in the first Wonder Woman. Um, they did it a little bit with Captain America, like in the second movie. But, uh, um, yeah, but, but Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, but I was intrigued by the aspect of James Gunn doing an MCU movie. I'm like, James Gunn, this guy who makes completely bad taste horror he worked with trauma like how could he possibly work with the mcu like this this is a fascinating connection and so i saw that movie and it pulled me right back in and i went back and watched all the stuff i missed oh that movie i thought was so cool i wasn't familiar super familiar with james gunn but um i remember seeing i, re I remember my, some of my initial reactions was besides loving it i thought oh this is the greatest thing now since the avengers but the movie but i remember thinking oh like they've so broken the mold in a way from the mc movies that preceded it and i remember also reading about guardians of the galaxy because i never knew the comic but i remember how they were talking about you know these are this is like you know like the b team like this is not mainstream marvel you know these are you know 
um, the second tier or whatever of characters, and they're getting a whole movie. And I remember seeing it thinking, oh my god, like this is so different in tone and setting to the existing MCU. It, I remember talking about it on Sci-Fi Partline saying like, like this just opens the door wide open for all the other possibilities of, of what comic book movies could be. And it was the beginning, the first obvious indication of like the diversification of, I always tell Sean, because he's seen very few MCU movies and he has zero interest. I always tell him like, it, the beauty of the MCU is it's not all the same. Um, it is like a box of chocolates. Like there's ones that'll be more appealing to you and others that are less appealing to whoever you are. And Guardians Guys, oh god, it blew me away. It's it's in my top ten movies that just made me laugh so much in the theater, and it was like a, just a joyous experience. And so yeah, that that was that was big time. Um, but uh, Suicide Squad is is like that, and he has this thing like he did in Guardians of the Galaxy. He has this ability with non-human characters uh, in his MCU stuff, and he does the same thing again uh, more than once uh, with the Suicide Squad. Um, it's fucking great. It's fucking great. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say it's the greatest movie ever, but it was fucking great. I wish I saw the movies. Um, I wish I saw the IMAX. I wish I saw it with friends. It would have been that much better. Just a fucking solid movie. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna see it in the theater. And yeah, you, you don't need to know anything about the original movie. All you need to know is just the concept of what the Suicide Squad is, like from the comics. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all you need to know. You need nothing else, just to understand the premise of the Suicide Squad in basic terms, and that's it. Yeah, I'm just pumped to see Peter Capaldi and John Cena, because even though I haven't really liked John Cena as an actor, I still have that massive connection to him with the wrestler yeah i've never seen him anything i liked and i don't even know if i've even seen a john cena movie before uh but everyone in that movie is fucking solid awesome every and some of them are actors of course i know and recognize and some of them are no fucking clue who they are but they're all fucking good in that movie yeah yeah and it's it's so weird because James Gunn is one of those people that forever that I just knew is like this kind of weirdo like person I never thought that he would blow up kind of like um John oh, oh fuck I can't remember his name Bong Joon-ho is that the Korean guy? that's another person who I never thought would yeah who made a uh, Parasite right 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 right. it's just one of those people that I've liked since my childhood because of the host and I never thought that he would blow up to be a mainstream person it's really nice to see that right but see you know, you can... Marvel has been has done that for a lot of people not only Marvel but but yeah because you know it's kind of, it's the same thing with like the uh, the Godzilla directors um, oh yeah it's the same thing absolutely and it doesn't always work but it seems to work a fair amount I mean when they get these people who've never done anything like whatever it is fill in the blank I mean let's be honest that was Peter Jackson when he did the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, yeah, that's true. I was too young to remember at the time, but yeah, for fans of those weird horror movies. Again, yeah, let's be great. honest, that's fucking George Lucas um, before he did American Graffiti and Star Wars. That's fucking Spielberg before he did Jaws. They were just these up and coming. Let's be honest, it's those fucking super cool A24 horror directors 
the the, the cool ones. Uh, they're still there. They're still in that spot where people don't really know them. No, I know, and and they're still and they're still making their stuff too. Like I mean, they still got plenty of more in the tank. But I mean, yeah, all these guys, all these people. Um, oh, and then I swear, Suicide Squad feels like James Gunn collaborated with Edgar Wright. There is such an, really such mm. an Edgar Wright vibe in the humor and the pacing and the editing. This is like a strong fucking. Uh, it's a fucking adult. Uh, I was gonna say Steven Universe, uh, Scott Pilgrim <laughs> type thing. Yeah, Edgar Wright's another one like that because I knew him from. I first saw, uh, I think like everybody else, Shaun of the Dead. And then I saw um, Hot Fuzz, and then I watched Spaced. And so he was still kind of like, oh, he's making these movies that everyone likes, but he's still kind of like this small person that people don't really know. And so it was really exciting with Scott Pilgrim to see him kind of take on this big budget kind of project. I think I didn't start exploring all his other shit until I saw Scott Pilgrim, to be honest. I think I watched Shaun of the Dead. I mean, I was aware of Shaun of the Dead, but I don't think I watched it until I saw... um, uh, Scott Pilgrim and I watched Spaced I think also because of Scott Pilgrim and Hot Fuzz mm. and at least at the time uh, the end of the world fucking blew me away at the theater um, me too but I don't it, it feels like it was like a one time thing though <laughs> like I was at the oh, really? I feel like I was at the right place at the right time to see it at the movies um, I own the, the trilogy on 4K one of these days I'm going to actually pop it in and watch them uh, in 4K uh, uh, all three of them Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and End of the World but End of the World I just fucking saw it and it fucking blew me away uh, mm-hmm. and then I, it, was, it was like a one and done or something <laughs> I don't know Interesting. I don't know why Yeah, you know, now that you say that I realize that I've only seen that once as well I've seen the other two I don't even know how many times, but yeah, I've only seen that one once. How fuzz I like, but it's like too long, and some of it needs to be edited out for runtime. Um, oh, fucking Rassilon or James or James Bond. <laughs> I don't know which one I go to first with the Bond. Timothy Dalton. I don't know. Which well, one. it's always Bond or Robin Hood. He's not Robin Hood, but he's this Robin Hood character in uh, in the in the original Flash Gordon. Not the original, the, yeah. the 80, 81 Flash Gordon. I always remember him as that. Uh, and Bond. Um, I I should think of him as, as Bond first, but fucking Doctor Who just absorbs my brain, so I think of him as Rassilon. No, first. I do not think of him as that. But of course, he plays heavy in the uh, the Doom Patrol series. Oh really? Oh, I didn't know he was. Yeah, that. he's oh, fucking man. he's fucking Doom Patrol Captain Xavier. Uh, oh, I'm glad to hear that. I love that Captain guy. Xavier. Uh, wait, Professor Xavier. Yeah, he was a good. He's well, he's a good Bond. I mean, I don't think about him often as Bond. Oh, but... he was the good. He was the he was the Daniel Craig Bond before Daniel Craig. Everybody knows that. Uh, but he didn't have the right movies. Is the problem? Uh, he, he played that serious Bond, but fucking Living Daylights. I mean, that is some. That's just as bad as some of the later more movies. I always thought of them. I always had a fondness for those movies because of their realism and grittiness compared to the the Roger Moore stuff and all that. Um, and I did consider him as like a Daniel Craig in the good way before Daniel Craig. Totally interesting. Totally, I, I, yeah. I'm part of a a semi decently sized cult who who's on the same page with that. Mm. Yeah, and to be fair to me, I didn't grow up with those movies. I owned almost every single Roger Moore and every single 
uh, Connery movie on VHS. And I didn't see uh, the Timothy Dalton stuff until probably the mid-2000s, maybe after Casino Royale. I absolutely, like people my age, grew up uh, concurrently, simultaneously with with all the Star Wars, the Star Trek, and the Bond. And so, yeah, my whole life, definitely. Mm. Grew up with all that shit. Um, again, I'm not trying to stay on super late, but I'm trying to think whatever, what else there is to get out there. Um, what's going on right now? Definitely looking forward to that green night. Um, like, I, like I was telling my cousin, I have this cousin, he's quite a bit younger than me, but he and I have always had very similar movie tastes like our whole lives. Uh, so we talk about this stuff a lot, but like I was telling him recently, um, part of the reason I'm really looking forward to seeing The Green Knight, and I don't know much about it, and I don't want to know much about it, but I have some ideas from what little I know about it. Um, one of the reasons I really want to see it, like I was telling my cousin, um, ever since I started listening to like the lectures of Jordan Peterson, um, it's really affected my movie critiquing. Um, Not for all movies, but for a significant amount of movies and a broad range of movies, um, including the Bergman stuff, but but not only the Bergman stuff. Um, It it has affected how I think about Lord of the Rings and Dune and Harry Potter and Star Wars. and especially some other movies that he points out, uh, Peterson does. Like he always points out Pinocchio a lot, the Disney Pinocchio, the Disney Sleeping Beauty. Um, and after hearing his, his lectures, I see a lot of movies differently. And I have a feeling, I don't know, that the voice of Jordan Peterson is going to be in my head a lot when I watch The Green Knight. So Interesting. That's part of the reason I'm really drawn to it. And, and the, the Pearson stuff, absolutely, it's the stuff I I take in with me when uh, when I look at the, at the Bergman movies I look at, and, and now the Woody Allen movies I look at, and certainly, fuck, the Kubrick shit. I, one of these days I need to read more, I need to dive into like old um, like Kubrick interviews, like in print or whatever. Oh yeah, that's a fun stuff. Because I've only seen a little bit of that recently. And that shit is fascinating. Uh, I was telling Sean, I think, but I couldn't find it. Or no, maybe it was my cousin. It was my cousin. I saw a little excerpt on some Facebook post, and it was an interview that Kubrick did in 68 or something, about 2001. And it was only like three paragraphs of an excerpt. But in Kubrick's own words, like he explains like the whole story and plot of 2001, the movie. And he just laid it out so clear, and like I was like, "What the fuck? I never got that." Like, I never got it so clear from watching the movie, and then he just explained it, and I was like, "Fuck!" And then, and then it made the movie even make more sense to me. And this just happened like in the last two weeks. This didn't happen like two years ago. Do you mean like about his, you know, perspective on like how technology influences humanity and that kind well, of thing? Well, he said, I, "Oh God, I need to find the I need to find the actual excerpt." he was saying like he's like because the interviewer i don't know but he was explaining to the interviewer like you know 2001 is a pretty simple story go because because the interviewer was asking him something about 
like people's interpretations and like what does the end of the movie mean and the space baby and all this stuff and he was mm-hmm. he was saying something to the effect of well you know the movie's really pretty simple when you get down to it um this model yeah. was was sent from like some alien some alien species or this uh, this otherworldly civilization these aliens they sent this monolith down to prehistoric earth the monolith um had instructions on how to make tools or whatever and and mm-hmm. when the when the when that group of apes came to the monolith the the monolith gave them the 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 knowledge of how to make tools and stuff and that they completely altered you know their um their existence going forward right and because they were gifted this knowledge by aliens okay fine fast forward to the the next monolith which was found on the moon which gave humans of that time instructions on some coordinates to go to which mm-hmm. is what sent them out to jupiter but they found the next monolith um and when what's his name the protagonist encounters the monolith he um he gets taken away it's like a different place like to where these aliens are or whatever and yeah because they're following the the coordinates right and then the alien so he gets transported to this other place um where the aliens are you know taking him and then the aliens it's like they have like a zoo or something like a containment place to, to hold yep. the human and the railway station the what uh railway station i think they call it or the way station where do they call it that like in the book or something or no that's just i think what kubrick fans call it the way station. okay yeah. okay so then he's like and then there's like like a place like a zoo like like to house the human for lack of a better term and to create like the holding cell for the human um they draw from his own memories and thoughts and that's Mm -hmm. where you get like the whole house thing and everything uh or the house you know with the guys in the bed and all that stuff that it's built from his own memories and that he lives a full life like in that containment place yep okay and then um i forget how this part goes but uh he lives like a full life or lifespan but then he is reborn as the star baby and the aliens send the star baby back to the planet earth or to the solar system or something yeah we, we start with the dawn of man the the introduction of technology we see the furtherance of technology and in the book, at least, the dangers of technology. And then we see the next step, which is the star baby. And it's this kind of beautiful next step in evolution. Because, you know, you, you see the kind of the like Neanderthal version, the kind of pre-human kind of violence dictated kind of action. Now, see, the way I always explained it before I read this interview, I would just say, oh, I see there's like a poetic, like, comparing of... Um, the, the apes discovering tools is like the dawn of mankind and that's uh, a metaphor for humans taking their first steps into space is a metaphor for this is just the very beginning of things to come that 
going into space is the equivalent of a chimp picking up a bone and making it into a weapon. That it's it's mm. it's like the second dawn, I guess. I mean, that's about as far as I took it. Basically, that man was just taking his first steps into space, just like the chimps were making their first steps into future kind, which is a simple tool. I mean, that's about it, though. Um, I didn't ever really have clear thoughts about everything that happens with the light show and and all that other stuff. Um, so the, what I just said about what was in the article, that was all completely new to me. And I didn't realize um, most of the aspects I just said. Um, and then oh. when I read that description of his, his own description of the story of 2001, put simply, I was like, oh my God, like that's exact, like Interstellar follows the exact same plan. Yes. But I think that's cool. I think that's cool. But it's the exact same fucking thing that he's a regular dude and and the only reason all this shit happens in Interstellar is because there's instructions coming from some advanced civilization which of course we learn is from the future. Um, that's, that's what makes the difference. Nolan made it about a man and his daughter kind of meeting this kind of great task. The Kubrick story is about humanity. It's about what humanity could become once they move past their, their primal. It is about humanity, but that's exactly what Interstellar is about, while at the same time having the personal story. I feel like it's more about the personal story, but we could discuss that that one because day. because because Nolan just enhanced that part because that part existed in two thousand one. It was just so subdued. The fact that he had a family back at home, and you know, he says goodbye to his kid, and all that. It's 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 in two thousand one as well. It's just. No one put way more emphasis on that for you know dramatic purposes and everything else and narrative purposes, but still it's the same exact concept that this future advanced civilization sent these instructions. The humans are following the instructions, um, and eventually he goes off, you know, obviously, and he's he's taken, um, you know, across the universe, and um, he goes into like the tesseract. But that's like what's his nose going into whatever the railway station, as you say. Um, yeah, Dave. Uh, what about? Him? Oh yeah, Dave. Uh, and then eventually, um, in a sense, he's reborn. Uh, not literally. Well, maybe literally. He's reborn and actually yeah. goes back to his home. Uh, and then again, you're left with the same thing you're left with at the end of 2001 which is this is just the dawn of the next the next level of evolution for humankind uh when you see what's her name and hathaway with the colony on the other side of the wormhole and again wow. huh that, i think in interstellar it's more about a furtherance of humanity humanity yes 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 surviving. but 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 there's the implication of interstellar that again the advanced civilization is actually humans again um yeah. humans are the advanced civilization and again they're sending the messages back to the past to try to found their future oh god it sounds so stupid to say it like i just said it but um <laughs> but it's the same it's the exact same thing it's the exact same no, thing I... that kubrick the way he described 2001 it's exactly what interstellar is it's it's not quite 2001 is about recognizing the faults in humanity and it's about evolving past it interstellar is more about um realizing the faults in humanity and moving forward with those same faults 
Like, it's like, maybe we can move past it. Uh, it's, it's less about evolution. Wait, how, how do you, how do you get there to what you just said? In 2001, it's literally evolving into a new being. No, I get that in 2001, but I mean, how do you get that on the other side? How do you say it's advancing while maintaining our faults? They're saying um, in Interstellar, it's more about like, oh yeah, you know, like we all have our problems. You know, humanity kind of destroyed their planet here. We meet that Matt, that Matt Damon character is kind of like a selfish, um, how would you describe him? Kind of a, I guess, selfish is basically all I could say about him. <laughs> And the Anne Hathaway colony is more about, like, let's try to do more about, you know, being about uh, the unit of humanity rather than just the self. It's less about evolving into an, a higher being, is what I would say. No, what I would say is that it, they're both the exact same story. It's just... Oh. Hold on. I, I, I think they're both the exact same story. It's just the emphasis is placed differently throughout each um, but it's but it's, it's it has all the same elements. It's just 2001 highlights these elements and minimizes the other elements, and Interstellar chooses to emphasize other elements and minimize, you know, just like that. But it, but at their core, I think they're the same story. Yeah, you could say that. I think I think maybe Nolan just missed the fact that Kubrick was kind of saying that there's an inherent flaw in humanity. And evolving to the next step is the only way for humanity to be free of that that flaw. Okay, maybe so. I don't know if he missed it, other than he's just doing what he wanted to do. Well, yeah, Nolan's a little bit more simplistic in that way, I would just say, just in general. But <laughs> Again, I still think it's the exact same story, just through a different filmmaker's lens. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can quite agree, but... Because again, they're not—they're not moving to a new level. They're just moving to a new planet. No, I know that, but we—but the simple fact—the simple fact that we know that there's fourth-dimensional beings out there, and presumably they are humans. So again, it's there. It's there. We don't—we don't see that part in the movie or anything. We don't experience any of that, but it's—it's it's implied because that is the next evolution, right? Yeah, I, I guess. Or some future evolution maybe it's not the next one but it's in the series of evolution of humankind right i guess it's fair and that has nothing to do with like whatever those fourth dimensional beings are they're in no way like we know humans now yeah i would assume so anyway we don't get much yeah so i'm saying they're not like these faulty humans or i mean or at least there's no evidence of that in the movie um they're just humans on a different plane of existence that's what i'm saying i think they're the exact same movie they just highlight and play up different elements well that's fair but it was uh, it was good chat with the man i'm i'm sure we'll try it again sometime soon i should probably uh...